often wondered what Horatio Spatford, who wrote those words, would think if he was able to be in a congregation singing with such enthusiasm and gusto, words that were actually penned in the context of great tragedy, but words which nevertheless capture a deep truth that the scripture speaks of, that no matter what, no matter what our circumstances, God holds us fast in his hands. We need fear nothing. They're great words. Thank you, Bob, and thank you to the team who uh, have led us today. Back in uh, the days when I, Diana and I were at Bible College, we met some really, really wonderful, interesting people and some of them are here. Uh, one who stood out, became a friend of mine, was a guy by the name of Tony. You might remember Tony. Tony Corden, his name was. He was a... How do I describe Tony? He was a big man. Now, that's coming from me. Uh, Tony, Tony was not only tall, but he was broad. He was, in a former life, he drove concrete trucks. And so he was well suited to that role. He did the same course. He wanted to become a pastor. He felt God's call on his life. And at the conclusion of um, his training at the Bible College of Victoria, he went across to uh, the Baptist College in Melbourne, Whitley College, to do some additional training to be able to become a Baptist minister. Now, I have to just say there was there's some parochialism around Bible College. You know, those of us at Bible College of Victoria looked upon some with some degree of suspicion, should I say? I'll be careful what I say because this is being recorded. Um, but nevertheless, Tony went and participated in in what was known as the Tuesday program, where they actually did some specific work around Baptist theology, Baptist polity, practice, all that kind of stuff. And then one day I met Tony, just out of the blue, and Tony had a great gash across his forehead which had been stitched up. And I thought to myself, this is, there's obviously a story here. So I said, Tony, what's, what's happened? He said, oh, you wouldn't believe what happened. Try me. I said, well, I was at Whitley College. There's your first problem. <laughs> and he said, they were, they were practicing, they were training us how to baptise people. Now, you might, you might think, actually, baptising people is not rocket science, all right? In our tradition, uh, Baptist tradition, we baptise people by immersion, which basically means we put, uh, put the person under the water and we bring them up. Now, that's pretty straightforward, right? How do you do that? Well, there's lots of ways you can do that. Um, when Matt baptises, uh, typically he will put a person in backwards, under the water and up, perfectly fine. And when I do it, I put a person forwards, bring them up, no difference, under the water is what really matters. At Whitley College, what they did in the middle of what was known as the Donut, which was the old um, residential building there in Parkville, they had a large concrete baptistry. It was shaped a bit like a peanut. Uh, it was empty and they'd get their baptismal candidates in to the peanut, into the peanut, into the concrete peanut, and then they'd practice doing it. Well, they did this with Tony, and whoever did it with Tony underestimated his, um, his size and baptised him forwards. He hit his forehead fair on the concrete, split his forehead way open. What a wonderful practice. Something to avoid doing in the baptistry. Can you imagine the problems if that happened in here? What would you do? That's, uh, that's one story I wanted to tell you. Another one uh, was another friend of ours who went through Bible college too. His name was Elmer, Elmer Bartras, a man from El Salvador. I used to call him the mad Mexican. I won't tell you what he called me. <laughs> a 
something along the lines of the big gringo or some such thing. Uh, Elmer was the pastor at Port Campbell. Who's familiar with Port Campbell? I know some of you guys are absolutely familiar with Port Campbell. Port Campbell is a little seaside village on the shipwreck coast. It's one of the few uh, ports uh, along the coast between Apollo Bay and Warrnambool, I guess, is the next one. It's a fairly narrow little inlet. The beach might be 200 metres long, Joe, something like that. Uh, there is a jetty uh, that they use to launch the boats from. It's just a jetty you back out onto and then there's a boat crane that lifts the boats out, pops them in the water. The cray fishermen go and do the thing at the end of the day. They lift them out because it's not a safe harbour. At times, if you have a look at the tourist brochures, uh, Port Campbell is picturesque and beautiful and it really is. It's, it's picture perfect, really, if, you, if you're there on a beautiful day. But if you're there in the middle of winter, the southerly ocean can roll in and the waves crash against the headlands. Now, the headlands would have to be probably, I don't know, 80 metres high or something like that. The waves can hit and the water's way up there. And at this little beach, the water comes in and the water goes out. And in his wisdom, Elmer decided to do a baptism service uh, one day. Uh, it wasn't summer, it was cold. He figured that was the way to test the resolve of the person who was being baptised. <laughs> do you really want to be baptised? Yes, I do. Well, uh, terrific. Um, and so, unable to pr predict what the weather would be like on this particular occasion, it was one of those days where the swell was significant. And so, I didn't see this, I wish I had. He took the person out. One minute they're standing on sand, hard wet sand. The next minute the water's up to their necks <laughs> and then the water's gone. And so I have this picture in my mind of Elmer with the person there speaking to the crowd on the beach saying, you know, we're going to baptise this person. Here it comes in the name of the Father, son, here we go. And under we went. <clears throat> and hopefully didn't get them dragged out to sea. So far as I know, they didn't make the news. Wonderful experience being baptised in a context like that. I think I've shared with you too in, in uh, our experience in uh, Papua New Guinea, we baptised in the local river, the Wagi River. It was a very strong river and so we would station people downstream as catchers, <laughs> quite literally, so that if uh, the person who was <coughs> baptising the candidate lost their grip in the current then that person didn't end up somewhere out in the jungle way downstream. Wonderful times. <laughs> we want to talk about um, physical baptism today and I wanted to start with those stories to say this. Um, although we might have all sorts of interesting discussions with people who come from other traditions about the mode of the baptism or the timing of the baptism and all that kind of stuff, one thing we can say in the Baptist tradition is that by far and away we have the most dangerous way of doing it. Which other churches put you at risk of being eaten by a shark or having a concussion as a result of being baptised or perhaps ending up downriver somewhere? Probably not that many. Last week, um, for those of you who were here, we spoke a little bit about spiritual baptism and made the very important point, I think, that physical baptism, that which we will speak about today, the practice of immersing a believer in water, is actually a symbol that points us to a deeper reality, in the same manner that the cross that we have here on our stage is a symbol that points us to a deeper reality, that which Christ has done for us. 
and physical baptism is very much about symbolising what Jesus has done in our hearts, what the Spirit does in our hearts at conversion when we become a Christian. The spiritual baptism that Christ performs on us when we become Christians. Jesus and uh, John had this conversation about this and we talked about this in uh, Matthew chapter 3, 11 when John said, you know, one will come after me who is greater than I, he will baptise baptize you in the Spirit. Something that takes place in our hearts when we become followers of Christ. That transformation that moves us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, this transformation that regenerates us, that sanctifies us and helps restore the image of God in us. And I think that's uh, actually a fairly good way of describing uh, or articulating what the Scripture teaches, this spiritual baptism or baptism of the Spirit, I do just want to say a couple of words about that because that phrase, and I parked this last week, uh, is, is one that's caused a little bit of confusion and even some division in the church because, and let's name this, there are some folks who would say baptism of the Spirit is something we see described in Acts, for instance, and it's something that typically people would associate with happening post-conversion and unfortunately, sometimes, um, not in all cases, but in some cases, it's actually uh, something that has been used to create two classes of Christian. Those garden variety ordinary ones who have been converted and those who've been baptised in the Spirit. How do we understand that when we're talking about this topic? Because last week I let this um, slide through. Uh, this week we probably need to name it as an issue that some people might have been wrestling with because when I talk about baptism of the Spirit, I've been talking about the transformation that happens at conversion, which I think is an accurate reflection of what the Scripture speaks about when it does talk about baptism of the Spirit. The language that we perhaps ought to use for that other event, which is very real and a number of people here have experienced at different times, in different contexts, uh, perhaps ought to be being filled with the Spirit or an infilling of the Spirit. And that kind of is in accordance with what Paul speaks about in a passage like Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, I think it is, uh, where Paul says, you know, don't be drunk on wine, but be filled by the Spirit. And so there are certainly occasions where a person might say, you know, I desire, I long for a deeper experience of God, I want to walk in obedience, I'm prepared to submit in a fresh way to God and God fills us in a wonderful, special way with His Spirit in a manner that may not have happened uh, previously. However, I want to say, and I'll be very clear about this, that as soon as a person is converted, they are filled, they are baptised by the Spirit and they experience God's Spirit in their lives. And they experience the gifts of God's Spirit and significantly the power of God's Spirit. It's not for us then to desire a new experience, it is for us to desire a deeper experience as we grow in Christ-likeness. I hope that kind of clears that up for some people. I'm happy to talk about that more on another occasion. All that to say, physical baptism, which we're going to talk about this morning, points to a deeper reality, that reality of spiritual baptism that takes place in every believer uh, and so there ought to be no genuine Christian who does not have the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit in their life, lives and, and everything that accompanies that. So every believer ought to have, with the Spirit in them, a sense of assurance that they are held safe in God's hands, a sense of God's power at work in them, 
uh, that there should be uh, fruits of the Spirit being evident in the lives of every true believer and we should also say every Christian believer ought to be baptised as a testimony to something that God does internally. So the question really is this, if baptism, physical baptism is just a symbol, why bother? I mean, circumcision was a sign of the covenant, that's kind of gone by the way. Why continue with physical baptism? Is it important? Does it play any significant role in our faith? And if it is actually a cause of disagreement between churches, if it's something that separates the body of Christ, because some people believe this about it and others believe that, why, let's, why don't we just kind of smooth it over, get rid of that uh, problem and, uh, and move on? Well, the answer to that question is actually physical baptism, the act of being baptised in water remains really significant. I'm going to give you just six, um, six insights into that today as uh, we unpack this. Why continue to promote the doctrine of physical baptism of believers? Well, the first answer is probably the simplest and the simple answers are often the best answers, aren't they? And that is because Jesus told us to do it. Do I need to go on? Probably not. Jesus told us to do it. Being baptised as a believer is a natural step in the process of following Jesus. Jesus expected that when a person accepted him as Lord, the next logical step in that process would be to get baptised. If you go to Matthew chapter 28, which is so well known, Jesus told his followers to go and make disciples of all nations, go out to every ethnic group, that's the language there, all languages, all people, and do two things. Do you remember what those two things were? by baptising them into the name of the Father, Son and Holy Spirit and by teaching them to obey all that I have commanded. Baptising and teaching obedience, two important steps in the process of being a disciple of Christ. And so two important steps in the process of being a disciple, two important steps in the process of making disciples. And so it makes sense for us as disciple makers to say to a person, if you're going to be a genuine follower of Jesus, you need to obey him and you ought to be baptised too. Those two things go together. We can't separate those two things. They are important in the same package. And Jesus too recognised that the symbol of baptism pointed to that inner change, that spiritual baptism that has taken place. For the church to dispense with baptism, if we were to say, look, let's, let's get rid of it because it's embarrassing... Or let's do away with it because it separates us from others in the body of Christ would actually be to throw out a part of the disciple-making process that Jesus said needs to be there. So there's your first thing. Jesus told us to. (coughs) The second uh, reason is because by being baptised, we're actually following Jesus' example. Next Sunday, I'll talk more specifically about the baptism of Jesus, what it looked like, why he did it, what the effect was. But for the moment, it's enough to observe that while Jesus absolutely didn't have to be baptised to demonstrate an inner change in him, because he was perfect, he was without sin, the scripture teaches us that, he was nevertheless baptised. And it's interesting, when Jesus came to John, John said, you know, I I should be the one being baptised by you. And Jesus said, no, we'll do this to fulfil all righteousness. In other words, to submit fully to the Father's will. I'm doing this as a sign of my willingness to obey 
my Father in heaven. There's a good reason for us too. Our willingness to obey our Father in heaven. Kind of coupled with that is, is what I've said is the third reason. It really probably is the second point two reason or second point five reason. Baptism is an act of obedience and an act of submission. Who likes that word submission? Don't see a lot of hands popping up. Submission, it's one of those words that's become a little bit tainted in our society, hasn't it? We are, well, as pastors possibly, as Christians even, we're a little bit embarrassed sometimes to talk about those passages in the scripture that, talks about, that talk about submission. You know, wives, submit to your husbands. What do we do with that? What do we do with submit to one another? You know, submission's a dirty word. It's a dirty word because in our culture and society, it's all about us. It's all about my individuality. It's all about my identity, which I might ground in all sorts of weird and wonderful things. And don't you dare question that. Because that's me and, and I'm not submitting to anyone, no matter whether I tread on your feelings or not. The scripture actually rose hard against that. At the very heart of baptism is submission to God. It's a willingness to say to God, I'm under your authority. I'm submitting to your commands. But at the same time as we're saying, I'm submitting to you, God... Rather interestingly, and not at all insignificantly, we're also submitting to God's people. Have you ever thought about that? By being baptised, I'm actually saying, I want to be part of God's family. That's you and I together. And when I'm part of a family, I'm submitting to this family. And that means that you and I have responsibility for one another. I was interested, Bob, this is not a criticism... Um, a moment ago uh, in your prayer you talked and I appreciate you know, praying for the pastors and those God has put over us but actually God hasn't put us over anyone he's put us amongst we are mutually in submission with one another it's really significant that as part of the whole process of being baptized we're submitting to God but we're also submitting to God's people and I'm inviting you into that space to help me grow as a Christian. You are responsible for me, I am responsible for you. Does this make sense? We can't be followers of Jesus on our own. We can't be followers of Jesus as lone rangers. There are no low rangers in the kingdom of God. Lone rangers, not low rangers. Did I say that right? Lone rangers. You can't do it on your own. We need other brothers and sisters in Christ. The fourth Baptism publicly declares the reality of an inner change, being uh, washed in water, demonstrating uh, a cleansing. Actually, there's a whole, whole heap of imagery that works really well uh, to demonstrate that change. When we go into the water, we're demonstrating our, um, what's the best word, our alliance, our affinity, our identification with Christ in his death. Because just as Jesus died, my old self is dying. Uh, the water cleanses in the way that Jesus cleanses. When we are raised, we are raised back to life. We are participating in the resurrection of Jesus and all that that promises. We'll talk about this at Easter, but just as a taster, um, the physical resurrection of Jesus makes the difference. If Jesus had just been raised spiritually, he hadn't defeated death at all. It's actually really important that Jesus came in the flesh died in the flesh, was raised back to life in the flesh and in so being raised back to life, defeated death and we participate in that life. His 
being raised back to life guarantees our being raised back to life. And his victory over death guarantees our victory over death. That's great news. If this was a Pentecostal church, you'd all be saying, Amen. Amen. Yes, thank you. At least some people are alive. Fantastic. Physically. Spiritually. There's deep symbolism in, uh, in that public declaration. Uh, now, let me just say too that uh, generally speaking, nothing spectacular happens in the water. We do not use uh, specially sanctified water. Um, I understand in some traditions you can get holy water. Uh, it would cost us way too much. <laughs> it's not the water that transforms us. It's not the act which changes us. However, having said that, sometimes the act of being in the water is, is particularly significant. Now, with permission, I just want to share a little bit of Mark's story. Uh, Mark was baptised out at the Kiwa River. Uh, which year was it? Now, two years ago? Two years ago. It was a wonderful day. A number of folks from the church came out and, uh, and the river was at a level that was safe. We didn't have to have catches downstream. And Mark said to me before the service, before the baptism, he said, David, what I'd like you to do when you put me under the water is actually hold me down there for a little while. Now, this is a pastor's dream. <laughs> How long? He said, I'll let you know. I'll tap your leg or some such thing. No problems. And so, as we were out there, Mark shared his testimony. We might actually play that sometime. We were talking about that earlier. We have that recorded. Uh, it's a wonderful testimony of a man who wrestled deeply with what it meant to be baptised. It was no small matter. And it's a, it's a wonderful testimony of transformation, of a journey with God. Um, now that I've said that, we kind of have to play it at some stage, so <laughs> stay tuned. Anyway, came the day, we got into the water. It wasn't actually that easy finding a deep enough spot because the river was at fairly, uh, well, let's just say the tide was out. Um, but we got there. And Mark went down. And we kind of held him there. Now, the reason that he asked to do that was not just to be different to other people, not just to give the pastor some delight in, in a pseudo-drowning, but actually because in that moment... What he intended to do, and I honour him for this, is to just spend that time under the water where, there's, where all of the visual stimuli are gone, where all the auditory stimuli are gone, just to reflect on the significance of what Jesus has done for him. And so we held him down. And we held him down. And I could see that some of the folks who were up on the bank were starting to get a bit twitchy. In fact, one of them later said to me, I was about to strip off my shirt and jump in and rescue him. And I didn't even feel the tap on my arm. I brought him up. And he did say, what would you do that for? <laughs> Wasn't ready. Uh, that's all part of the story. So I'm sorry we, we didn't last as long as that. I've said a moment ago, that the, the actual, the water doesn't change us. But whenever we take a step of obedience in the direction that God wants us to go. Whenever we actually submit ourselves to God, we open ourselves up to God's blessing. Simple as that. We kind of clear the way for God to work in us. There's a corollary to that, and I have to say it too. This is part of 
uh, being honest about this, there are times too when if we do take a step of obedience towards God, there are times where we say, you know what, I'm going to actually act in a manner that will be obedient to God. Satan just comes in there and he tries to undo that, big time. I think I've told you the story when I was a young person, I remember the Sunday evening service, it was a baptism service, I decided to follow in my Lord's footsteps and be baptised too. It was wonderful, you know. I went home on a spiritual high, just have this sense of the overwhelming presence of God and this was such a right thing to do. <coughs> the next day, uh, I went to school, it was okay. Um, have I told this story here or not? No? Okay. Well, we had a program, our school used to go and help another school in Burnley, actually, the primary school in Burnley in, near Richmond. The school's gone now. Such <laughs> Our help wasn't that good, obviously. Um, we had to catch the train. And we went to the station, the, the little station where we caught the train, and, you know, I was still feeling this, this warm glow of wonderful largesse, if you like. You know, God was at work in my life. My friend Tim was there and Tim didn't have any lunch. I said, Tim, I've got an orange. Here you go. Have the orange. I, you know, just, And Tim peeled the orange and he chucked the peel on the ground and the station mistress came along and the station mistress stood there and said, whose orange peel's out on the ground? And Tim said, it's his, pointing to me. <laughs> well, that was the first, the first experience. You know, I was generally a compliant sort of a young person did all of the right things and in front of all of my peers this station person of authority this dude with all of the uniform on just got into me and it was embarrassing and oh my goodness and then later in the day at um <laughs> at the station at Burnley my friend Tim was not acquainted with um how to manage the trains because we had to catch a train to here to change to another train to here which would I would then eventually get home on and Tim wasn't sure should I get on this train or not so I said yeah come on I, I sat on the train come on come on get on he's I don't know is this the right one I said, I'm not trying to fool you Tim and and he wouldn't get on so at the last minute I got off the doors closed and then the station master came marching down the station who was that and I saw jumping on and off the train that's dangerous and again for the second time that day I was bagged out in front of all of my peers you know a person who tried to do the right thing Hardly ever got in trouble, not so much in those days anyway. Um, and twice in one day, this is the very next day. Now, I'm not going to say that, um, you know, Satan was having a go, but actually I think probably was. Because in that one act of stepping towards God, Satan just came along. He made that Monday the most miserable day of my life. Every ounce of me wanted to choke Tim by the end of that day, but of course, no, couldn't do that. We remained friends right through school. If we do have some kind of heightened spiritual experience in the moment of our physical baptism, it's not because of something that's going on in the water or because of the pastor or anything, it's because... In that space, we're actually stepping up in obedience to God. And God honours us when we do that. The fifth observation, baptism is a powerful testimony to those who don't believe. And this is why we normally perform baptisms in a public context. 
and, and why it's unusual for us to um, baptise a person in a very private context. I know that there are occasions where people might be baptised at home in their bath with just one or two present. There's reasons why we might do that or in some other context, but typically we do it in a public context because it's a strong witness, it's a strong testimony. It actually is the moment when others start to think, my goodness, you know, if this person's stepping up and saying, yes, I'm going to walk in obedience to God, what about me? What should I be doing in this space? And oftentimes when someone stands up and tells their story, we are at once encouraged by it, but we also sometimes see deep parallels in their story with our story, don't we? And those stories, those witnesses, those testimonies can be very powerful because they're articulating the work of God and that's encouraging. They're articulating the word of God and it's encouraging because so often that kind of work is very similar to the work of God that we've experienced. The struggles that they've experienced are very similar to the struggles that we've experienced. Their journey of faith may well resonate with us. Their journey of faith might be a little bit ahead of where we are and encourage us to take more steps. And so the whole business of being baptised in, in a context with other people can be a great encouragement. Jesus said to his disciples, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise the Father in heaven. Let your light shine. In the same book of Matthew, Jesus said, whoever knowledge, acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. That's Matthew chapter 10, verse 32. And then in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus said to his disciples, you will be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and to the ends of the earth. And in fact, the New Testament apostles taught that followers of Jesus have an obligation to acknowledge Jesus as Saviour and Lord, and baptism provides them with a God-given opportunity to do that. And finally, the sixth observation about why physical baptism is important it's because it's an encouragement to the church and it's a deep encouragement to the church, isn't it? I know uh, we've had baptism services here recently and when that's happening, there's a buzz around the place. There's a, a sense of anticipation. There's a sense that we're going to hear God's story from other people. There's a sense that we're going to witness what God has been doing and that's wonderful. I'd like to say it'd be wonderful it was like that every Sunday... However, I'm not actually sure that's entirely right, that it should be. Some Sundays, just, just think with this, uh, I'm going to go off script here, so this could end badly for me. Um, sometimes we just go through a Sunday and it's okay, like it's nothing bad, but it's, it's just a Sunday, right? But isn't that how life is? And doesn't God expect us to live life in the valleys, not up on the mountaintops all the time? And I do wonder sometimes whether this hunger that we sometimes have for an adrenaline hit is actually, a, can I say this, an immature form of Christianity, a faith that's not properly grounded. That's just a throwaway thought. But nevertheless, let's come back on, onto the page. Uh, baptisms are a great encouragement to the church. It's a great encouragement to the church when we see a young person stand here uh, and talk about their journey to faith. It's a great encouragement when we see an older person, no matter what age, stand here and tell stories about their faith. It articulates the work of God that goes on. And that's significant. That's encouraging. That builds up the body of Christ. Baptisms encourage the church. So let's, uh, let's conclude with these couple of thoughts. First of all, 
Um, I speak, and there'll be no surprise in this, I speak to those who've never been baptised. If you've not been baptised, then let me put the invitation to you to consider it today. With this clear and overwhelming evidence of the scripture that says that every believer ought to be baptised, what might be stopping you? Now, occasionally, I run into people, I'll, you know, challenge them about something or, you know, and they'll say, look, God hasn't told me to yet. Not necessarily in respect to baptism, but something else. And that's fair enough. But you can't use that excuse when it comes to baptism. You can't stand up this morning or sit down this morning and say, God hasn't told me to because the Bible actually says, yes, here it is, black and white. No excuse. And so perhaps God's speaking to you about that today. If you're waiting for some special word from the Lord, here it is. Jesus is pretty clear on that matter. And let me say too, and I say this with all sincerity, I know for some people uh, it can be pride that holds them back, it can be embarrassment that holds them back, it can be the fear holds them back. All of those things when they're underneath the authority of Christ, take on a whole different perspective. If we let fear rule, it's always going to stand in the way. If we let pride rule, it's always going to be a problem. But when they are subsumed to the authority of Jesus, they take on a whole different perspective. So don't let those things rule in your hearts. If it's a practical concern, you know, what about this stairs or whatever, let's not... Uh, allow those to be roadblocks because there are ways that we can address those to be frankly honest with you if uh, if people said to me today let's do it today we will decamp from here out to the river or out to the lake this afternoon no problem if that's what Jesus is saying to you today now I know that there are a good number of people here today who have been baptized and you're not going to get off the hook today either because there's sometimes a temptation, you know, when we're talking about this, someone might be sitting there thinking, oh, this doesn't apply to me, okay, I don't have to pay any attention. My question to those of you who have been baptised is twofold. First of all, think back to what happened in that moment and ask the question, what's happened in the time since? Have you actually continued to grow? Have you walked in faithful obedience with God? Are you maturing as a Christian? Are you experiencing a deeper relationship with Jesus? Are the fruits of God's Spirit at work in you being manifest in, in greater and greater degree day by day? There's the challenge for everybody. We're going to pray. Uh, and in this prayer, provide some moments of reflection and perhaps for some, some moments of challenge. As I said, there's a couple of options for us if... If there are people here today who do want to respond, if you feel, you know what, God's just kind of clearing out my excuses, I need to do this, two ways we can go ahead. One is, if, if it's today, let's do it today. If you want to say, no, perhaps in a couple of weeks' time, we're more than happy to plan a service where we can uh, do something together in either the morning or the evening. Either way is fine. But whatever, if God is speaking... Uh, today's the day to say yes don't put it off let's pray Lord Jesus we thank you for 
the clear teaching of your word that tells us that we ought to be baptised and that that baptism will attest to, will witness to the transformation that's taken place in our hearts as your spirit baptises us at conversion. And our prayer today, God, is that we might walk in that faithful obedience with you no matter where we might be on that journey. And so today, my prayer for those who have never been baptised, maybe today is the day to say yes, maybe the day, today is the day to respond, maybe today is the day to allow your spirit to have your way and to step up in faithful obedience. And so we pray for those who are wrestling with this question even today. For those who have been baptised in the past, perhaps baptised in another tradition, God, we just pray today that you would take us back to that time and remind us of what you did in that space, remind us of what you want us to be, where we are now, to grow us in Christ-likeness, to allow your spirit to take control of us and give birth to the fruit that demonstrates the transformed life. Lord God, we thank you that you're a God who speaks and so we invite you to speak now. We thank you again today for this gathering of your people. As we break in a few moments, uh, may our fellowship be enriched by your presence. May our conversations uh, honour you and the relationships, the friendships, the connections that we have reflect your intention for us as your people. God, we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. As um, Bob leads us and then concludes the, sto the story, the service, uh, we do have folks who are available for prayer, <coughs> Matt and myself available to chat to anyone. If you do want to respond to what we've spoken about today, then take that opportunity too. It's a significant occasion and an opportunity that um, God might be presenting to you now. Thanks, Bob. <laughs>